Before we begin, it is important that we take a moment to think about, recognize, and provide some resources to help you think about and recognize the implications of the murder of George Floyd by the Minneapolis Police Department. COVID-19 is a virus that is a great challenge to our society, but it has a solution, a solution in science, a code that can and eventually will be cracked. The problem of white supremacy in our culture is not so easy. And while this show is not intended to be an expertise on anything, it is important that as two white people, we make sure that we are reflecting our belief that the voices of the black community must be heard in matters of the systems that seek to marginalize them. Issues around police brutality over the past centuries have been, and the white supremacy that drives a lot of it is such an important issue and it's hard to talk about anything else right now. And I think the piece of it that we might feel comfortable speaking to has to do with the role of um, white folks educating each other to be better um, activists and allies in these issues. So um, we have a few resources on our website. We wanted to endorse Showing Up for Racial Justice, which is an organization white folks teach each other about dismantling white supremacy under the guidance of organizations led by people of color. So um, that's one, and really recommend a book called Overturning the Culture of Violence, and uh, we'll post a bunch more stuff on our website. So wanted to say a few of those things before we turn to... Welcome to Trek in the Time of Corona. In his 1972 book, The World of Star Trek, David Gerald wrote that science fiction at its best was the postulation of an alternate reality with which to comment on this one. On this podcast, a fan of Trek and a fan of everything but Trek will come together to search for reflections of this pandemic life by watching and discussing contagious disease-themed stories from the Star Trek universe. My name is Brian Apple, and I am here with Caroline Harmondero. Today's episode from the original series, Requiem for Methuselah. Original air date, February 14th, 1969. Gripped by deadly Regillian fever, the starship Enterprise lands on a small, uninhabited planet to harvest Vitalin, a key ingredient in the antidote that will save the crew, 23 of whom are infected. As Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy arrive and explore, a floating robot made of colanders bombs them, and its owner, Mr. Flint, appears, a reclusive history buff hiding out from human community in a palace on a hill. He threatens war if the crew does not leave his planet and gives them two hours to get what they need and remove their plague ship from his skies. Inside the palace, the Vitalin is being processed, and Mr. Flint becomes hospitable toward Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, 
offering 100-year-old brandy, piano, bill billiards, and chess. Spock envies the original da Vinci paintings that seem to have been painted very recently with modern materials. A mysterious woman watches from another room on a screen and asks Flint's permission to meet the interlopers, hoping to discuss subdimensional physics with an apparent Vulcan. Flint introduces the young woman as Raina, a girl he adopted when her parents died in his employ. He estimates her intellectual pursuits as equivalent to 17 degrees, and she reveals that she has never met a human other than Flint until today. Kirk and Raina dance together, while Spock plays what seems to be a handwritten Brahms composition on an ornate piano. Back on the Enterprise, the skeleton crew of Uhura and Scotty are operating the ship, while all others have succumbed to Regillian fever. Time is running out. Meanwhile, Dr. McCoy has discovered that the Ritalin being processed is compromised and of no use to their antidote. Spock pieces together his tricorder data to discover that Flint is likely more than 6,000 years old, and he confesses to being a self-healing immortal from Mesopotamia, having gone by the previous names of Methuselah, Moses, Merlin, Da Vinci, Brahms, and others. Flint watches Kirk and Raina kissing on his monitor screen. Kirk asks if Raina is happy and offers to take her with him out of her lavish imprisonment. Searching for the missing Rytalin, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy discover several women's bodies under sheets labeled Raina 12, Raina 16, etc. McCoy realizes that these are all android precursors to Flint's perfect woman, who must also be a droid. Kirk and Flint fight over Raina, with Kirk realizing that Flint has detained them all on this planet in order for Raina to experience love for the first time and perhaps become fully human. Raina does not want to be the cause of fighting, and asserts that no one can tell her what to do. She can choose now, saying that she was not human until she loved. Before picking a side, she collapses and dies from the agony of love. Back on the Enterprise, the Vitalin has cured the remaining crew. Spock reports that leaving human community has destroyed Flint's immortality, and he will live out one last lifespan trying to help humanity. Kirk is ashamed and paralyzed by heartbreak, and Dr. McCoy notes with pity that Spock will never understand the things that love will drive a man to do. So it is the third season. The writers are tired. The actors are tired. Yeah, I was really surprised to learn that there were only three seasons. I mean, it feels like so influential i don't i can't believe that there are only yeah. three seasons only three and and this one is i mean i love it because i love i find joy in any even even things that are not well put together science fiction wise but this is roundly ridiculed as just a horrible horrible season and everyone was tired making it they knew they were being canceled at the end of the hmm. season just because of their time slot and the, and the ratings. Oh, interesting. So uh, people mostly uh, admit that this was not the best effort. But still, because it's a epidemic episode, we have to, we have to talk about it. That's, Let's soldier on. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what we are called to do. So, <laughs> and I know I, uh, for myself looking at this, 
and I sent this to you maybe last minute so you wouldn't have a chance to to shoot it down. <laughs> because I know the way that I consume content is very much like the way maybe religious people consume religious texts. And they are always not performing exegesis. They're performing whatever the opposite of that is. Uh, I can't remember the opposite of that, but they are taking the text and reading their own lives into it. Mm-hmm. which is much of what I do with the things that I like consume, like to consume entertainment-wise. And so I couldn't help, and I, and I know this is not what the writers intended. Like, I, I'm, I am fully aware of that. But watching this, my first reaction, especially with the news about the, the impact of whiteness on our culture and the impact of just this dying white supremacy that is trying to go out as violently as possible. I couldn't help when Flint, who is the person who's been alive for 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years, all of his creations and everything he represents is very much kind of this white patriarchy guy. I mean, Da Vinci, Alexander the Great, Brahms, like all of these names that people are always throwing about, about having created the classics or, or the canon in European, um, the classic European sense. Here is this guy, Flint, who's created a vision that is not real. And even when it becomes real, can't actually do what Flint wants most, which is to love what he is and love what the creation itself is and i couldn't help but thinking that that's that's what the white patriarchy really constantly comes back to because they have this vision of america that is not only not real but if it ever actually became real if the ideals that they talk about freedom justice and equality equity all those things if those ever actually became real it would totally turn against them and and it wouldn't even be able to survive i don't think with the contradictions that 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 exist that it would have to face yeah i i think that's right he's sort of like a symbol of of all of western civilization and uh i think the the story of his trying to create a queen that will complement his brilliance is uh both hilarious and (laughs) super compelling um and you know you can see a lot of echoes of it throughout um science fiction and stuff but i think it's kind of the the casting of love as possession which is the foundation of patriarchy and i think just possessing women but then on another level, there's a way in which we are all sort of possessed when we experience true love. So it looks at both of those things and at the same time sort of problematically. But I think that's right. The more the more true his vision of what he's tried to create becomes, the more likely she is to run away and exercise her free will. Right, right. Exactly. I mean, and and that's that's how power works in terms of the person who holds the power can't ever actually feel any kind of reciprocal emotions with someone because 
for those reciprocal emotions to truly exist, there can be no power dynamic that is not equal. Yeah. And the moment you remove that power element, then it's it's an impossible situation, which is exactly, I mean, the, the con- continuous contradiction in our society is that we have people who claim to love America and those are the people who are holding on to all the power and to thread this needle of loving these ideals of what America is supposed to represent also brings about the very things they hate most about America, which is the increasing diversity, the increasing voices that disagree with them, all of these elements that they absolutely don't want that throw off the balance of power and try to to go in reverse and they have to get retain the power or or seek out to get the power which then puts them back into this position of loving something they can't love them back so then how what do you think kirk's in the last is then is he sort of like the left like here be free but actually love me and come with me yeah exactly that is exactly what i thought like i did i saw him as kind of like the white left that has a very caretaker approach to anyone who is marginalized and not an equity approach the person who's not really willing to give up his power but is willing to use his power to protect people in the way that he feels like it's best for him to protect and it's i think her dying because she had a choice which is what neither of them really wanted they wanted her to have a choice as long as it was what they agreed for her to make. And I do see that as I saw Kirk as the left that doesn't quite understand the values that require that are required in a free country, a truly free country as well. I was interested when I was watching it, your your kind of a, a pure feminist perspective of the episode. Well, that's a nice compliment. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, it was just hilarious and horrifying and uh i just i had no concept from the outside of star trek having this constant element of like kirk going from planet to planet to like find one inappropriate lover after another yeah um and i think that that's interesting the difference between that and then like 30 years later the next generation episodes that we've watched and how different the audience is by then in terms Mm -hmm. of what they expect from male leaders and their relationships with women. And I think it's like a horrifying little storyline, but it's pretty interesting what it, what it calls up in terms of, you know, being a metaphor for what plays out in, at the, in those days, what was playing out in a lot of everyday relationships, you know, and uh, I remember, you know, different men saying really similar things to some of these things much more recently than the 60s, you know, in the 90s. Like, you know, <laughs> if you if you get them by such and such age, you can really shape their thinking and their tastes, uh. <laughs> you know, things like that. Like, it's just it's so embedded in what men think they are allowed to do or can do. But I think that there's some pieces of it are kind of universal like what makes us a human is, is our love for each other and 
I think one of the familiar pieces in terms of our time now with COVID-19 is just like her loneliness and um, yeah. just, um, and I mean, of course it's extreme and it's melodramatic in her case, like a flower dying in the desert. <laughs> it, does, <laughs> it does feel a little bit like a desert in terms of like not seeing anyone for months. And I think about like my friends that are single, um, what that must be like to go two and a half months without seeing anyone. But I think it's it leads to during this epidemic, you know, making a lot of mistakes. And so um, the things that make us the most human are what are compromising our health or endangering us, like um, loneliness causing people to just say, you know, screw it, let's meet up or let's go out. And I can definitely relate to like the different pieces about like jealousy of other people having fun. And then I think there's also a thing about our vanity, you know, like people wanting to get their nails done and their hair, their hair done and not caring if they get a potentially deadly disease in order to make that happen. Not caring if they spread it to someone right. else either. Yeah. So when you spoke about the loneliness and everybody would be experiencing some level of loneliness, the people who live alone, um, the people who are cut off from loved ones who might be surrounded by others, the people who just can't see friends or go about their normal connections outside of their family. What kinds of things are we building that aren't real that will affect us long term? And I'm thinking about just an exasperated creation of in some ways what we're doing now but in in terms of finding outlets for quasi relationships to take the place of real ones social media more internet connection things like that which are very very necessary and can help us through this but what happens when it's done are we going to be able to connect on, in a real way yeah taking con taking into consideration the drastic measures that will be in place for a long time in terms of actual distance from each other. Um, my youngest daughter was playing with two toys today, or maybe it was yesterday, two like just little figures. And she was talking about, she was having them say, stay six yes, feet away from each in other. Her mind, yeah. and it's going to be in our minds for a long time. What are the, what are the constructions we are building that are in response to the loneliness but aren't real that they're they're not actually here they're they're in our minds that we're using as a band-aid right now well i definitely think like living through social media is a huge thing that's happening right now and just more and more time given to it for me at least and i think and lots of people and i think um <laughs> you know what you're saying about my goddaughter that um she uh that you know i was just thinking about like my grandmother living through the great depression and how that affected her and uh and people would say well you know the way she buys food or whatever she's a child mm -hmm. of the depression <laughs> and i think it's gonna affect our kids on that kind of deep level of you know whether they can um you know like having personal space or you know I wonder if things like that are gonna kind of stick when they're so young 
I mean, you would think you would think that it would. But I guess it depends on how long the cell lasts. Something that you wrote in the notes that I'm interested in <laughs> is talking about the natural resources again. And many, many episodes that we have watched have included this cure being something that's naturally occurring, something that they have to go into a planet and get. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in thinking about perhaps how disconnected that suggests we feel from our nature at its basic state that when we imagine diseases, a lot of our assumptions are the cure is out there. It's, it's within, it's, it's a place that we can find. It's something that we've gotten away from. Yeah. I think, um, there's a theme in several of the episodes that the, the, um, the main characters are justified in sort of colonizing various places in order to get ingredients that are going to save their ship or save them from an epidemic or, and I think, but if they're the antagonists then they're not, they're not justified in that. Um, and, and in this episode and a couple of others, there's this added sort of like, we're going to mine your planet and we're also going to steal your women <laughs> that are either married or 13 years old or fill in the blank. And, uh, I think that's sort of interesting because it's never, it doesn't seem to really ever be questioned that they have the right to do mm -hmm. that. In terms of what you were saying, I think that there's two main paths that people talk about antidotes from. One is that there's some external miracle that's going to happen, like you're saying, mm -hmm. that, that you know there's a place you're going to go and mine some resources that are going to solve this. But then there's also this concept that we've been hearing a lot about in the news about you know, um, the antibodies that people who, uh, are yes, heal, yes, yes. people who are able to heal from it possess within them the ingredients for an antidote. When they, when they were taking Tom Hanks blood or plasma or whatever, and that was, <laughs> that was going to save everyone, which, um, would have been actually quite amazing, <laughs> fitting in some ways, but yes, yes, something uh, there. I remember those being talked about the antibodies. Yeah. And I think that's a cool sort of piece that there's people who've already come through the fire and they're going to save us, which is a different model. One of the perspectives that this episode didn't have. And from what I read, it was mainly because of the, uh, a, a shorter budget or a, a smaller budget than in past seasons and things that the location of the actual epidemic was only in two or three shots. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not actually, we're seeing the actions of the leaders, but we're not actually seeing the people who are impacted most by the epidemic. So there's a lot of parallels with the, the plague ship that it's called. Um, Kind of circling and feeling useless at home and sort of our, each of our houses is like this plague ship that's not really able to get into action and and 
the, they mentioned that it's being operated by a skeleton crew. So we see Varan, um, Scotty, and doing you know more work than anyone else, and mm-hmm. which I think is probably another parallel that it's kind of like the person of color is shouldering disproportionate amount of the work um, for everyone else that's in sick bay. Um, but also kind of, it reminded me of the Navy ship and the captain that raised the alarm that they um, needed more resources for their sailors. And, and then he was fired for sort of advocating for them. And then he was rehired, and then the person who fired him was fired. And, uh, I'm not sure where it stands now, but it was reminding me of how it is to be sort of trapped in a setting like that. When you were talking about the the kind of comedy of errors with the Navy ship captain, I couldn't help thinking about just the the one the, something that doesn't make sense about Kirk in this episode and in any episode where he falls in love with someone on a planet or or whatever is the total disregard for his mission which is kind of out of character for him in that moment. Now they weave this story in such a way that it's not distracting from his mission because he can't complete it because the guy is holding all the power, Flint is holding all the power manipulating the situation so Kirk can reawaken love or, or awaken love in, in the android. So now we have two major crises going on in this country that are huge and, and just devastating populations and devastating cities and are indicators of both long-term and short-term mismanagement and trauma and oppression. And, and it's, it's like we have a leader who is distracted by everything and who is talking about things that, that are not immediate needs at all. That's kind of what it felt like watching Kirk, whose crew is, you know, if they get this, McCoy said they only have a day to live. He's taking this time to fall in love to the extent where after the episode, Spock erases the memory for him. It's that severe. And I just felt like, are leaders always that distracted when they're working on something or is it just, is it just to create drama or what? I, I really felt strangely watching a leader like Kirk being distracted by that now living through a leader who's distracted by everything during a crisis. Hmm. Articles about the amount of golf that's being played during, mm-hmm. you know, while cities burn and people are killed. Yeah, I wonder how many people had died when they started this podcast. It's really shocking how fast it's progressing. What now has whiteness wrought? Whiteness has fought for decades a desperate battle against access to medicine for all. Now 100,000 plus are dead of the coronavirus. Whiteness has fought against proactive laws and policies that will deconstruct systemic racism in our political and social structures. Generation after generation, we have watched black people of all ages gunned down by authorities without consequence. What illusion, what ideal, what android version of America has whiteness created.
Like Flint, this carefully constructed illusion whiteness has created concerning the norms of who we are supposed to be, who we believe ourselves to be, and how we seek to be looked upon by others is crumbling around us. Seeking out to create a system in which an arbitrary distinction determines the humanity or non-humanity of individuals and bestows upon some power and privilege while seeking to profit from the marginalization of the others, we are now learning that this creation, this illusion, this robotic anti-life like Reina can't exist if the ideals it proclaims are to be realized. In Requiem for Methuselah, did we perhaps sneak a peek of a Requiem for America?